Good morning. I'm Angela Davis. One in three Minnesota fourth graders cannot read at a basic level. If you want to know why, you can find answers in the investigative podcast called Sold a Story, How Teaching Kids to Read Went So Wrong. The podcast was produced by American Public Media and released last fall. It's received national attention and award recognition and as the movement to reform reading instruction gathers momentum across the country. Just yesterday, New York City's public school system announced a sweeping change to how its 700 or so elementary schools would teach reading starting this fall. The Soda Story podcast explains so much about why kids in school are having a hard time learning how to read and why so many are below grade level and have been for a long time. So this morning, I'm really happy to have the podcast producer and host joining me to talk about the amazing response to the series. She's joining us from Washington, D.C., Emily Hanford. Emily is a senior producer and correspondent with American Public Media, a longtime education reporter. Welcome back to the program, Emily. Thank you, Angela. It's so good to be here. Congratulations, uh, Emily, uh, on the awards and recognition uh, your work is receiving. I know this has been a passion of yours for many years. Uh, You won the Long Form Journalism and Audio Award from Investigative Reporters and Editors Incorporated, and the Soda Story Podcast was also nominated for a Peabody Award. Quite an honor. So how are you, first of all, how are you feeling about all of this, Emily? Well, it's certainly gratifying when you've worked really hard on something for it to make a difference, you know, as journalists, I guess that's the the point. That's why we're doing what we're doing. But um, it is rare for a story to have this kind of impact. So I'm feeling um, gratitude about that. I'm feeling good about that. Uh, You know, there's also it's a big, messy world out there. Right. And Mm -hmm. so now all kinds of schools and school systems and entire states are trying to reform how they teach reading and it's going to be interesting to watch. And there's going to be, you know, I hope a lot of successes, but um, this is a difficult, complex thing to do. So I'm sure it's not all going to go well. So it'll just be interesting to see how it all turns out. And I'm hoping to be able to document that over the next few years. Yeah, yeah, you, uh, you've really uh, ignited something and, and started some new conversations on something that's been debated for a long time. Now, when, when you joined me on the show, um, after your podcast came out last October, you were already getting a lot, a lot of feedback, a lot of response from people, parents, teachers, uh, you know, all kinds of, of folks. Uh, why do you think that reporting about reading instruction really struck such a nerve? It's a good question. And it's something I think about a lot. You know, I think the first thing I'll say is that there, the conversation that's happening now nationally wouldn't be happening if it weren't for parent advocates who've been drawing attention to this for quite a long time. There's been a very passionate and effective movement of parents of kids with dyslexia in particular. So those are the kids that really have the hardest time when schools aren't really teaching kids how to read in ways that we know work, that um, line up with we know what we know about how people actually learn. So I think that the parents really set the table and they have been getting changes and getting legislation focused a lot on dyslexia over the last 10 or 15 years. And I think the reporting has helped to connect some dots for people Mm -hmm. to help people understand the connections between why some kids are struggling so much, but how that is still impacting a lot of kids. So there's a much wider swath of children who really... Um, could be doing much better if schools were teaching in a different way. And so I think the podcast in particular has started to reach a very large general audience of people whose kids aren't struggling 
with reading, whose kids are doing fine, who don't even have kids in public school, mm-hmm. but who are listening to this and saying, oh, yeah, this is something I should pay attention that to. This, that something's not right and we can't. Something's not right. Yeah, we yeah. cannot choose. We can't continue to choose not to, to take action. And so I know it's difficult to summarize uh, all the findings in, in the series uh, about the, the difficulties of teaching kids to read the challenges, but also what science shows. And so uh, and, and just you know, uh, a couple of seconds here. Can you give us an overview of what you found in your reporting that really, you know, stands out? How do you describe it to people? You know, it's really about one very small idea. And I think it's important for people to understand this. When people think about reading, they often think about phonics. And what I would say is that this reporting is not about adding phonics instruction. It's about taking away another idea that conflicts with phonics instruction. So many schools will add some phonics instruction, but they don't take away this other idea, which is that you don't have to teach kids how to sound out the words because that can be kind of complicated and difficult. And we know English is difficult, especially all the vowels and the way they work in various ways, right? You don't have to teach kids how to read the words. You can teach them all these other strategies to figure out the words. And that's really what Sold a Story focused on. Schools have been sort of doing both. They've been teaching some phonics, but they've also been teaching kids all these other ways they can figure out the words. And it turns out that's really not a good idea. A lot of kids start doing that instead of really learning how to sound out the words. And the best path to becoming a good reader is to learn is learning how to slowly and laboriously sound out those words, because that's how you store them in your long term memory. Mm -hmm. And that's how you're eventually a good reader, because the words themselves aren't a problem for you. The words are easy. It's like a reflex. You just know all these words and you can focus on the meaning of what you're reading, which is the goal. So we've had this problem, which is there have been sort of multiple ideas. And I think often the way people compromise in education and in all fields is, well, let's just add some more stuff in, just add this in. So over the past few decades, people have gotten rid of their resistance to phonics because there really is a long standing resistance to phonics in education. And we've sort of added that in, but haven't taken away this other foundational idea that sold a story focused on, which is kids can be taught all these other ways to read the words. And it turns out that's a problem. Emily, I mentioned that uh, just yesterday, uh, New York City schools, uh, the chancellor announced that all public elementary schools in that system would be changing their reading curriculum as of next year. That's like like 700 something schools. Uh, what do you what do you make of that? And what do you think is the connection to some of these new conversations that are happening about how we are teaching reading? Well, it's a big deal when New York City does anything. It's the largest <laughs> public school system in the country. You know, it's yeah. massive. It's just massive. So they have a very big challenge on their hands. You know, they're making a bold move to try to change reading instruction. I, you know, I think it'll be interesting to watch. I, I think they're doing some things very quickly. And, you know, I think what I have learned in my reporting is that taking this slow and really doing it well is really important. So mm-hmm. um, I hope New York City um, can really do this well. It's, a, you know, they've got a very big ship to turn around there. And some of these ideas that I focused on and sold a story really are very strong in New York City. So I expect there to be a decent amount of resistance to it in New York City. So mm-hmm. it'll be really interesting to watch what happens there. Um but I think it's pretty clear that they are they are doing this. Uh, they have a, a new mayor and a new chancellor who are really aware of this reporting and aware of this issue and have heard from a lot of parents and teachers who really want change. So I think they're really responding to what a lot of people want. They they want change. And I know you've been touring the country talking about the podcast, and I, I'd love to hear you share this story uh, that I've heard in the newsroom that you were at an event with former President George W. Bush. Uh, and so tell me what happened there. <laughs> 
Well, I was I was seated next to the president at lunch and we were chatting and I asked him if he had heard the podcast and he said he had been briefed, but he told me that he hadn't listened to, he doesn't listen to podcasts. <laughs> then I was in the elevator with him on the way back to the event after lunch and he had his phone in his hand and I told him he could listen to the podcast on his phone. So he handed me his phone and I subscribed and sold a story <laughs> and I got a message from one of his aides that he listened to it that weekend. And then actually I got a handwritten note in the mail from President Bush. Getting it done, Emily. You are. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you're doing a couple of bonus episodes. This is exciting. Um, The first one will be released tomorrow. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay. And so what made you decide that there was more to say? And what can you tell us about the bonus episodes? Well, we just got a lot of response in our email inbox and our voicemails online and op-eds. There was just a lot of response, as we've been talking about, and a lot came from listeners, and most of what we heard were their stories. Mm -hmm. So people wrote in and called in and told us their stories. So the first episode is really that. It's just what we heard from listeners, who we heard from, and and then there's going to be an episode next week. Emily, yeah, were some of them te- were some of them teachers, or were there some of them um, students who had struggled so with the, reading? Who, who? Yeah, so the largest group of people we heard from were teachers, and then parents were next. But teachers, by far, were the most to um, to respond. And we heard from kids. We heard from quite a few kids, mm. and uh, it was really moving to get notes from kids. And uh, again, where do we find the bonus? episodes. Where do we find Sold a Story podcast if we're like former President George W. Bush? How do we listen to this? <laughs> well, you, well, if you're former President George Bush, you don't think <laughs> listen to podcasts. But if you listen to podcasts, you have a favorite podcast app, you can go on and just search Sold a Story. You can also find it on our website, soldastory.org, and you can listen right there online or listen on your favorite podcast app, and it'll be in the feeds tomorrow morning. Oh, I love it. I am a great fan of your work, and I appreciate all that you're doing that uh, will continue to have an impact for decades. Um, We've been talking with Emily Hanford, um, the host and producer of Sold a Story. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. A reminder, a reminder again, if you missed Sold a Story, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts and you can listen to a three hour radio version of the series right here on NPR News on Memorial Day. And that is, of course, on Monday, May 29th. It'll be on the radio from 9 a.m. to noon on Memorial Day. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.